Welcome to This Must Be The Place, a podcast about communities and the people who build, support, and live in them. I'm your host, Greg Dunlap. So uh, last year at Lullabot's Yearly Retreat, we had a half-day workshop that was run by Meg Bolger. And I'm going to admit that as somebody who's been involved in discussions around social justice issues for quite a while, I kind of went into it assuming that I would be a fly on the wall and sort of support things as needed. And I was really surprised that I was absolutely blown away by Meg's ability to engage with everybody in a way that combined commitment with compassion and communicated communicated in a way that everybody involved was really affected by. And so I'm really happy to have Meg here to talk about uh, social justice issues and how we discuss them in our communities. So thanks for coming, Meg. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, You know, Obviously, there's a lot of uh, communities that are discussing social justice issues now. As a matter of fact, I can't even think of any community of mine that's not discussing them right now. And um, a lot, you know, there's a lot of people who are discussing these issues for the first time and encountering them for the first time and things like this. And I know that when I, you know, first in, first talked to you and when you first came to us, I found your approach to things very unique. And I was wondering if there's any way you can kind of summarize or give an overview about the way that you approach things. Well, uh, part of me wants to answer your question, Greg, and part of me wants to, to say that you, your, your description or you um, saying that you experienced a really different approach, like would be just as interesting to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> your, your difference than mine. Um, I guess I'll start by saying that uh, I have been doing social justice education and facilitation for a long time. And the more that I engage in these conversations, um, let me think here. I think that my approach is heavily, heavily influenced by my like love and belief in facilitation specifically and like kind of by the principles of facilitating groups and of um that that the the process for me uh really influences how i engage with the content so if we think of the content as social justice i think that the process and the lens that I use is facilitation, and that really transforms how I relate to and experience the um, content of social justice. I think that's actually a really good way to describe it, and it's something that I hadn't thought about because, I mean, I, you know, one of the reasons I asked you is because I was having a hard time putting it into words, and, um, and. I think, but I do think that's interesting, and I think one of the things that stands out to me there is that you're not trying to convince anyone of anything. You are trying to get people to have conversations with each other. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, not only would I say that's accurate, I think that for me, um, it has been a process of, of truly believing that I cannot convince anyone of something, particularly through a method of force that I am Mm -hmm. going to overpower, um, I'm going to overpower your belief system, I am going to 
um, I'm going to say things that you like, like facts, I'm going to present facts that you've never considered before. And that that is going to like overpower your, your beliefs or your um, understanding. Instead, I think I go for a much more like the process is the outcome where if I can get you to engage in these conversations, that is a good enough, that not a good enough, but that is my goal in and of itself. Like I've really reoriented my goal to, I want people to have very honest, open, uh, vulnerable experiences in these conversations. And that's my goal, not the, I'm going to end, and, and, and that is going to lead them to change their mind. Um, right. And so the process becomes the outcome. And, um, and I also think um, the other, like the force analogy, right? I'm going to force or overpower your, your understanding. Um, I would say that the paradigm I, I try to operate in more is the belief that everything you need is already there. And I am, I am, my goal and my process and approach is to try to excavate it or to get rid of the stuff on top of it that keeps it from um, interacting with you. But that I don't have to put, I don't have to do as much putting new information in as taking off uh, blocks and barriers. I think when you were um, with us, one of the things that really stood out to me first was that, you know, in a lot of workshops around social justice issues, there's an exercise that people commonly do called the privilege walk. And you did a variation on that called the privilege auction. Um, could you kind of describe those two things and why you feel like uh, the privilege auction is a better approach for what you're trying to do? <laughs> yeah. So I can, so the privilege walk, which m more people would be familiar with, is an exercise where there's a lot of different versions. So I'll just describe one version where you have everybody stand up and you read a series of statements uh, and you have everyone stand in a straight line. You read a series of statements um, and uh, a statement might be, uh, take a step forward if you grew up in a two-parent household. Take a step back if you are a person of color. Take a step forward if you could go to college without worrying about financial aid. And what you end up doing is um, having the group separate themselves um, according to the privileges and advantages that they have experienced throughout their life. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and you'll have the most privileged people at the front and the ideally, if the, if the thing is working, uh, you'll have mm -hmm. the most privileged people in the front and the least privileged people farthest back. And um, that's how the process of like the activity itself works. And people use it as a jumping off point for a lot of different types of debrief and conversation. But that's what the, um, an overview of that is. Um, the activity we did uh, was a version of an activity that I call privilege for sale. Um, how that works is there's a list of 30 or something, you know, some number of privileges. It's an overwhelming number, like 30 or 25. And you put people into small groups. You have everyone understand that in the rules of this activity, um, you are to experience this list from a understanding that you don't have any of these things. And as a group, you have to collectively decide which of these um, privileges, or you know, a lot of people see them as a list of rights, um, you want to have access to. 
Um, and so you have to have a conversation with your group about what are the things that you find um, you are most compelled by, you think is most important. And um, we do that for about five minutes. Groups get different amounts of money, um, although they don't know that. And then we come back together for a debrief. And the debrief is um, just, as, just as important and just as vital to the experience of the activity for me. Um, but that's the, that's the basis of those differences. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I, I choose to do privilege for sale when I choose to do privilege for sale, um, why I, I like that activity a lot. Um, one is that uh, privilege is a word and a um, uh, privilege is a word that is very tricky to have good conversations around. Um, in, especially when it becomes personalized, these people have privileges, these people don't. And, um, and privilege for sale because of the structure is that no one has these, um, you know, in this theoretical moment, um, which ones are important to you, you really shift the conversation away from the, it is still personal, right? But, but not you have these and this person doesn't and how should you feel about that? Um, so it allows people to, to both see the list, have a lot of understandings and, and awareness raising around, wow, I didn't know that that was, I had never thought about the privilege of, um, of walking into a public bathroom and, and not feeling, and feeling safe, or the privilege of being able to fill out HR paperwork and not um, fret about my identity being, you know, revealed to somebody or being able to, you know, get married or what, you know, there's certain privileges that have evolved over the time of me facilitating this activity, but, sure. um, you'll, you, people can have incredibly different experiences of reading the list of having those conversations while all simultaneously engaging with this concept. And, um, to me, it allows for a lot of different types of realizations and realizations at, at um, where th that people are going to have at different places um, and understandings to coexist um, without there being a, a bad guy or a, pro a common enemy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really floored when we ran this exercise because I saw a lot of people who had probably never engaged with the concept of privilege very strongly um, or even possibly been resistant to it, it being very deeply affected by that. And um, it, it reminded me, um, I did an interview with a guy named David Dylan Thomas also for the podcast, which I don't know if it's going to end up getting released before or after this. So this may be a spoiler, but um, he talked about how so many of these feelings and beliefs that we have um, are tied to our identities and people, people are, I, people's own personal identities are very much enmeshed in these things. And so when you attack one of those beliefs, it's like you're attacking them and it triggers a, like almost a fight or flight response sometimes. And the ability for the exercise that you ran to break identity away from the discussion was really really, I felt like that was really important to making it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, um, when you were saying, you know, there's, there's people who were resistant to that topic beforehand. I think the story that we have about why they are resistant is an important one. 
that for me in, you know, like I've been doing social justice education for 10 years. And when I started getting involved in social justice, the story that I was offered for how to interpret that resistance was that's that's what privileged people do in order to deflect or stay away from these conversations. And it's just another form of privilege is to get defensive and not want to engage. And I understand where that story comes from and I understand like where, but it doesn't actually, to me, it is a very, um, it's not a good faith argument of where, uh, like what might be going on. And so for me, part of my work and maybe part of my approach has been uh, somewhat to unlearn the stories that don't seem to be helping me engage with people and trying to replace them with stories that do um, or, or, or even just processes that do. So now when I experience resistance, um, instead of being, instead of it confirming a suspicion that I have, like, oh, I knew you were going to be resistant. <laughs> um, I, I experience, I think I've gotten myself to a place where I experience like, huh, I wonder where this is coming from for you. Or like, I wonder why you are scared. Or I wonder um, what feels important to you to make sure is uh, like either remains true or feels true for you. And therefore this can't be simultaneously true. I have a very different relationship with resistance than I, I think I used to. And I also think that um, that kind of like the, um, I don't want to say mainstream social justice, but just like then a lot of the spaces and conversations that I have been in that have been centered around social justice um, have offered. Finding those paths to nuance and connection seem, it seems so difficult. And, and I feel like there, there are lots of reasons why that is. Um, but but um, where do you see that going wrong most often? So something that I believe, I, I'm a big situationalist. Um, I, be, I believe that the conditions that we are in make things more or less possible or may even um, really be all that is necessary to create the results. So let me be more specific. I think that it's when you mentioned like it's very hard to have these conversations online and to have like nuanced you know complicated conversations it i actually think it might be um like that having a a really nuanced conversation with somebody on a facebook post may just not be possible and and what i mean by that is like what about like the conditions of being in public right because facebook and twitter and social media like they are to almost uh, like a necessary degree like having a conversation on a stage where you have an audience and you are being watched and judged and um and because of that like evaluator evaluatory um aspect I'm not sure that that creates conditions under which you can have those types of conversations or exchanges, or at the very least, it is swimming upstream against a very rapid current. So if it, it might happen, right? Like maybe, but the conditions don't, 
set up so don't set you up for success and so to me like it's it's possible that the medium itself is um that we are trying to really swim upstream when we do that versus when we get on a phone call with somebody where no one else is listening in we're not trying to impress anyone we're not trying to prove we're one of the good ones we're just actually having a one-on-one conversation with someone that's a completely different set of conditions. And I think within those conditions, you can have a really different set of possibilities. And even if everything is possible at all times, which one makes it most likely to happen? Um, That's something I think about a lot. Like, what are the conditions that I can set in this workshop to make it most likely that people will be, be honest in a way that they are not going to be in three hours from now? What are the conditions that I can set for somebody to think about something more deeply than they would have otherwise? Like it's to me, it's not a willpower thing or even like a personal characteristic thing. I really I really think that it's worth looking at the conditions. And it's hard because obviously Facebook and Twitter and other social media platforms are are not designed for the purpose of having nuanced conversations. I would argue, in fact, exactly the opposite. Um, but we're also in a situation where these platforms are in many cases for people the only way they have to communicate with each other right now, which probably doesn't make anything that's going on in the world at this time any easier. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's for me, if we had um, understandings that this is what Twitter is brilliant at, this is what Facebook is brilliant at, this is what Instagram is brilliant at. And we, we really try to maximize those things. Um, And, and, and like, that could be, there are things that that social media is brilliant at. There's a whole other conversation we could have about, you know, the way it also um, might be crumbling democracy. But like there, there are things that are wonderful and beautiful that are happening on those platforms. It's when we try to make them our everything or we don't see that like, actually like the reason that cancel culture is so, you know, viral on Twitter is because Twitter sets, is just such a great place to do that, you know? Yeah. And, um, and what a wonderful, like it's such, it's set up to optimize for cancel culture, right? And, and that's one of the first, you know, one of the early things it did was, was set, was allow people to, um, like exert their power as a mass of people onto individuals or companies to put social pressure on them. Like there are ways in which that's really good. Um, and I think it's John Ronson talks about that, that where there was, there were ways in which that was really helpful, but all of a sudden there wasn't anything good to do with that energy. There wasn't any, any like just cause um and place for that to go and so when you have a a hungry mob they will just keep go they will just go looking for for it right it it wasn't it wasn't easy to find so you have to look harder and harder and um yeah we there are ways in which i think those platforms are really beautiful opportunities for people to learn and connect but we have to know and see their limitations and not be confused by um, like what they can do really well and what we are trying to force them to do. 
And, uh, you know, you're making me think about, you know, one of the realizations that I had when we went to the workshops that was actually one of my deepest realizations was that I had taken the methodologies that I use to manage these conversations and to defend myself online and brought them into the real world um, and used them against people I actually knew and cared about. And um, and for me, that was that was a real eye opener, right? Because you're right, the context in which we manage these conversations should be different based on sort of the realities that we inhabit within them or who we're dealing with or how or the method or the medium or all of that. And that how and what may be appropriate in one may not be the best course of action in another. Yeah, I think that um, I think about what is the like, so this is a perhaps a weird statement, but like there's a lot of memes going on right now around social oh, yeah. this, right? And I I was talking to my partner the other day and I was kind of picking picking apart one of the memes and I was like, I just don't, I don't think that this is true. I think that it's missing all of this analysis. And I was, you know, going on about this. And she goes, I think you just don't like memes about <laughs> Like, right. The, the, the entire, the entire stated purpose of a meme is not nuanced analysis. Nope. And I, I'm just like, not a big fan of like, it, it's not that there isn't a place for them. It's not that there isn't like a place for satire, a place for dark humor, a place for, right. It's not that, but they're not, they're truly not for me because I don't like them <laughs> and they don't, they don't, instead of it, it um, like, instead of me feeling like really seen by them or getting a laugh out of it or finding it entertaining, I just find them frustrating and, and miseducational and all of these other things. And, and so I, I guess I brought that up to say like, what is the purpose of a meme? Like, you know, what is the purpose of a post or an article? Like they can have such incredibly different goals. You can have a goal, which is, I want to make this, I want to make my people laugh. I want to make my people feel like their anger is valid. I want to make uh, these people feel attacked. I want to make these, I want to make this educational point. Those are all such incredibly diverse goals, right? Or I'm not going to use that word because it's going to get, <laughs> those are such disparate, right. those are such disparate goals. And when we have such disparate goals, I think it's totally like if I, if I argued with someone like that meme misses all of this analysis, I think they could reasonably come back at me and say, yeah, it was supposed to be funny. And I was like, oh, fair enough, you know? <laughs> and if that's, the only, basically, if that's its primary goal is to be funny, then I can let it, I can, I can like, just be like, oh, I don't find that funny. The, the, the thing that's so tricky, I think, when you add in social justice to this is that a lot of people, and I think a lot of, like, I'm not, I'm not saying other people, I, myself included, would say the goal of this is to advance social justice. And I would say, well, actually, I think it does a better job at being funny than it does at advancing social justice. I think it might even 
like it's possible it might even harm the cause of social justice, but still be very funny. And um, and I think the furthering the goal of social justice and trying to do something else simultaneously, sometimes you end up trying to um, like like sometimes you split your attention. And sometimes I think one thing is going to do it much better than it's going to do the other. And um, I think that's a really complicated extra ingredient where when we're trying to connect with people, we're trying to heal people, we're trying to educate, we're trying to make people laugh. And we're trying to do all of that in the name of, of like advancing social justice or within this kind of ecosystem of social justice. Um, I think that's where stuff gets complicated and, and tricky to parse out. Well, I think the point that you make of asking what is your goal when you post something is really important. Like I, you know, I'm very involved in the competitive pinball community. And one of the pinball community, one of the pinball companies made a post about Black Lives Matter and here's what we're doing, and et cetera. And there was a set of responses to that post, which was basically competing memes with each other, right? It's like, here's a meme about how uh, all lives matter. And here's a meme about how all lives matter. People are stupid. And here's a meme about, you know, whatever else. And, you know, let's face it. The goal of those posts is not to enlighten. It's not to change anybody's mind because again, you're right. A meme is not going to change people's minds about things. Right. And so you start to think about what the purpose of those either side's posts was in the first place. Yeah, I I have two thoughts here. One is that I think sometimes we forget, and by we, I guess I mean the social justice community in this moment, but I'll also say I, like I forget that like the social justice community, if, if we wanna call it that, and we could talk about what that even means, is not exempt from any other just like things that humans do <laughs> with each sure. other right they try to show off they're they're cutting they're funny they're quippy they're they're mean you know they bully each other like those are all things that you're probably going to find in any community right that you're going to have the bullies you're going to have the funny people you're going to have the people who like sarcasm and the people who don't and the thing with it i think that sometimes happens in social justice is that like we are not exempt from any of those things we're just doing it within this ecosystem or within this set of content that we're engaging in. And it's incredibly mm -hmm. important content. And it's incredibly, you know, uh, to me, it, it is it is some of the things that I believe most deeply in the world. And I don't actually like it. I think it is um, harmful to lose sight of the fact that what I was trying to do in this moment is I was trying to one up that person. I right. Wasn't trying to convince them that Black Lives Matter. I wasn't trying to convince them that all lives matter. I was just trying to get, you know, pull one over on them and like be the funniest person in the room. And to me, if somebody can earnestly say like, oh, I was just trying to be the funniest person in the room, then I don't have to try to convince them or uh, try to talk to them about like, hey, do you see why that was whatever? Right. Because I understand their stated goal. But it, it gets really messy, I think, when our stated goal or or even what I what we think our goal is, is to I want to help educate this person in the moment. But what we're actually doing is just trying to be the smartest person in the room or the funniest person in the on the you know meme thread. Like those are just 
it's totally fine to to want to be that um but then don't then um if you're like why didn't that person learn anything from that exchange my my response is that's not what you optimized for if you wanted to optimize to educate them you would have done something very differently what you optimized for is to be the smartest meme creator on the thread and you did that but they didn't learn and you so which one was your goal right and which one do you want to optimize for next time yeah and um and 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 I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out, I mean, I mean, obviously then we should always be thinking about what our goals are when we begin communicating about these issues. And I think that's a great first step in and of itself because another, because then another part of that is if, if my goal is to, is to try and make an argument to somebody else or to open up someone else's mind a second part of that is, is that other person coming at it from the same place? Because if you're trying to have an honest and earnest discussion with somebody who's just trying to be the smartest person in the room, this is not going to end well. Yeah. I think that I see a lot of descriptions and experiences of, um, of burnout or of exhaustion or of frustration. And some of that is completely unpreventable, right? Like, I don't believe I have like a secret ingredient or a secret um, uh, tactic necessarily to to prevent all of that. But I do think that um, we would set healthier boundaries and perhaps be less frustrated if we did, um, if we were, if, if, when we entered a conversation with someone, we really understood our goal and got clear with ourselves about that and that and and paid attention to their goal, either got them to explicitly state it or or even just like paid attention to the ways that they were showing up. You know, I had a conversation mm-hmm. with my brother a couple of weeks ago that comes to mind and politics came up and we were talking about it. And I was just kind of pay, paying attention to where he was at. And when like, you know, about five minutes into the conversation, I was like, I think I should definitely not go further down this political rabbit hole because it's just not where he's at right now. Like, I don't, I believe too much else is going on in his life for for me to be able to push back against this, you know, thing I disagree with, or for me to even just like really go into this thing I believe in. Um, I'm just going to get frustrated and he's going to get frustrated. It's going to erode our relationship. And it's actually not going to be because we disagree about this policy policy um, because we can't even know if we disagree about the policy right now because too much else is is going on for us to to really like come to the table and have that conversation and and because I was able to see that and pay attention to it I think I was able to not walk away from that conversation just incredibly frustrated and feeling like oh, like I could have if I didn't see that I could have been like wow me and my brother are on such different sides about this. And I can't believe he disagrees with me and all of this other, you know, I could have come to, to all of these conclusions. And instead my conclusion was, this isn't the time um, to, to even, where I could even fairly assess if that's what would be true, because there's too much else going on in his, in his life for us to get into that conversation. 
Yeah, I think that's all super important. And I think it's really hard for a lot of people who engage with social justice issues because they feel like if they see a statement or an argument being posited online, in, and it's very obvious that the argument or statement is being posted in bad faith. Like there's a very well documented way of approaching an issue by asking questions where it's very clear that the questions are not being asked in a true spirit of engagement, but as a way to draw you out and sap your energy and kind of trap you in mental loopholes and stuff like that. And, um, but I do feel like there's a tendency that's very hard for to resist for people to just leave that stuff out there unanswered because they feel that by leaving it out there unanswered, they're, they are either they're not allowing both sides to be heard or people will see the um, person acting in bad faith and and go their way because there's no alternative or something like that. And I'm, I just don't necessarily think that that's true. I think that it's very hard to discern. Um, it's very, it is very hard to discern when to engage and when not to, but I think it becomes impossible to discern that when um, in my, I would say like in, in a lot of my circles, there is a singular narrative, which says, if you do not engage that person, you are, you are just as bad as them. Yep, absolutely. And so that, that choice doesn't, it, it, it's not that it removes the element of choice, but rather it, it, there is a foregone conclusion about what it means about you to not engage. It doesn't mean like, oh, you're a very perceptive person or, oh, you didn't, didn't knew you couldn't show up in the ways that would actually be productive for that conversation. It, it doesn't, those aren't conclusions to that. Right. It, there's a singular conclusion and that is you are part of the problem. And if you have decided, well, but I am not part of the problem. <laughs> I don't, or I don't want to be, or I don't, and or perhaps, and this is, the part that's really hard for me is like, even more importantly, I do not want to be perceived as part of the problem. Then mm -hmm. you have to act. You have to act in, you have to act then. And um, it's very likely that you're going to act in the only way that you have seen other people act, right? Or in the ways that you have previously acted. And it takes so much more time and investment <laughs> to, to show up in the like curious, uh, hey, tell me more about that. Um, oh, why did you post this? Can you say more? I, I don't really follow your logic here. Like to, to show up in those ways, which to me have been basically the only ways I've ever really gotten to transformative places with people, that takes a ton of, uh, it's not that it takes a ton of time or energy, but I do think it takes more time and it takes more energy than just blasting someone and, uh, or dropping a meme. Yeah. Or dropping a meme or, um, yeah. When I say blasting someone, I guess I just mean like, just, just, you know, really leading with like, this is how you're wrong and why you're wrong and why it's so harmful. Right. Right. Um, uh, that usually takes more time and for me, more conscious, uh, effort and, and that's, just not always easy to access. So um, yeah, I think that's where it becomes really concerning to me is like when we have a singular story about 
who are the people who don't engage those those folks? Well, those those are bad people. It doesn't uh, allow us a lot of space to to make. Um, there are conclusion or there are consequences, automatic consequences um, for not taking those types of actions. Yeah, that's that's totally true. And I've felt that my I've felt that myself. Um, and, you know, I felt it. I felt it in different ways because, you know, in, you look at communities like I look at a situation where per, perhaps a family member of mine says something that is not great. Um, versus I'm in a uh, community around a hobby of mine and somebody within the hobby says something that's not great. Or you're on your friend's Facebook page and somebody you have no idea who they are says something that's not great. And I think it's important to, to, you know, again, and this all comes back to context, but all of this stuff is kind of related. Like, there are in in different in different of those cases the different ways you may or may not engage in your choice whether or not to engage are are all over the map right because like yeah. i wouldn't feel comfortable like if somebody who i knew personally and who was a family member of mine said something that was you know that i felt was very deeply against something that i personally believe i would want to respond to that but my response to that wouldn't be to blast that person it would be to say you know hey i just want to i just want you to know that this is not what i personally believe and i want to make sure that you know while um you know, you can believe what you want to. I just want to make sure everyone that I, that everyone that I know knows that I'm not on board with this and here's why where, and, and you can engage that way because you know, the person, as opposed to if you feel like you're forced to engage in one of these other situations where you don't know a person, then obviously the much easier thing to do is just to blast them. Um, and, um, and I know for myself and in a lot of the communities I see, people finding their way through that seems to be very hard. And I think a lot of it is we just don't think about it. You know, we just don't, we, we're very reactive. The thing that you just said, Greg, also jumps out to me though, which is I am saying this so that other people know I don't believe in what you said. Like right. that is yep. such a, uh, I don't know. That, that no, is a problem yeah. that we have self-created. <laughs> Right. Um, that, that I would say the idea, like, and that is to me, um, yeah, when engagement becomes a way of, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm really like, truly it would be if, 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 if that's like the, like a hundred percent, let's go to the most extreme example of what you just said. And it was just like, I am not posting on this to engage with you at all. I really couldn't care less what you think of me, what this interaction does for our friendship, our relationship. I just want to signal to anyone who saw this comment and wondered why I didn't post to make sure that they know what side I'm on. Like that is, I think, an essence of what a lot of these things are doing. And that is um, like... And, and then we wonder, like, why are we not having good conversations with people? I'm like, well, because we're not trying to. We're trying to make sure that people on our side view us as on their side. Like, we're not trying to build bridges. We're not trying to relate. What a weird way to have a relationship, you know? Like, that, it, it's, it's a very strange set of conditions that we have created for ourselves. And I do think it is a set of conditions that is... Um, 
creating a lot of outcomes that we didn't want, um, but that are natural outcomes of that type of, uh, like from that set of conditions. And to be clear, I think what you're talking about is a little different from what somebody like, like we hear people talking about virtue signaling, right? Which is kind of an implication that you are saying these things, even if you don't believe them to look good, right? Versus you making sure that people understand that you do believe what, what you do in fact actually believe, which is a subtle, but I think important distinction to make. Yeah, it is an, it is a subtle distinction to make. I think in both cases, um, it's just important who is the audience and what are mm-hmm. you trying to communicate that, um, and the reason behind it, that doesn't change. It's just how personally connected you feel to those things or right? True, or like, in, um, within, you know, like how, how much are you in your integrity of, around how much you believe them that changes, but all of the other things are very similar, which is like, this is for these people to perceive me in this way and um, to ensure that I'm not one of the bad ones. Yeah. And yeah. Not, um... That isn't to, I know exactly where that, that want is so natural and real, right? There, the, I don't want to be perceived as one of the bad ones either, right? Because there's enormous social consequences for for being for being seen on the wrong side and and we are social creatures by nature. I think we underestimate like how how destructive like or or rather how motivational connection and community is. I think it's one of the most important things that people will People will do almost anything to ensure that they they have a community and that they have people who think that they are like you're you're with us you're one of us you're one of our people. I mean, I think that people will become. I personally think people will become neo Nazis just to ensure that they have community, not because it's what they deeply believe. Oh, I mean, I think I think the recruiting uh, methods of those uh, groups actually rely on an explicit knowledge that that is true. Like they yeah. purposely target people who are disaffected and have no one and say, we found a place for you. Yeah. And so and, and to me, I believe that, too. And that to me has actually become like I that has become like a central um I don't know, like maybe a cornerstone thing that I try to hold on to is that the beliefs like the the white supremacist belief system or the like anti-Semite belief system that often came second for those people. And and I think actually is the weaker link. Right. Like that is not as important to them as the connection and the community is. And so if that's true, if like if 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 the way that you recruit people into the neo-Nazi movement is to ensure community connection, a sense of belonging. And then you feed the belief system on top of that, right? Or just layer it on top of that. Well, then you have to like, for it's not the belief system that I need to interrogate. It's the, like, that's, that's just the thing on top of the pain. Um, and I think that has become a really interesting thing for me. And is that I I don't I want to make like yeah I don't want to get 
not distracted by the belief system still a problem, but it's more knowing that that might not actually be the ground floor of what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, I saw, you know, there's been this video going around of all of these people testifying at a uh, hearing in Palm Beach about mask wearing, right? Mm -hmm. And they're all varying levels of, you know, masks deny you the oxygen that you need to breathe, or, you know, this is all a conspiracy by the government. They want to roll out their 5G so they can brain control us and, you know, all along the different spectrums of that. And, you know, I see a lot of people saying, you know, this is what the idiocracy of our society has brought us. But I mean, I, 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 I resisted watching this for a long time. And, and, and when I did, I mean, I was mostly struck by a sense that these are people who are very scared and desperately trying to find meaning and a framework for their lives. Yeah. And they found one and it's not very healthy for, for them or for the greater society, but they found what they needed. And what we really need to do is to be finding a way to provide better frameworks to people than, than the ones that they're encountering. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of things there to unpack. One is that, um, I mean, if people are afraid, if people feel like their day-to-day -day life sucks, like most of us are going to look for reasons why. And if somebody, somebody who you trust or you resonate with or who looks like you or who connects to you in some way says, you know, this is why your life sucks. It's because the government or it's because of the liberals, or it's because of the conservatives <laughs> and the racists or the, you know, or whoever, like if they give you a person to, to direct that frustration towards, like if that's your most compelling argument, that might be, and that's enough for a lot of people. And it's not to say that there isn't real things going on underneath that. Like, of course, there's like real systemic things that are causing that. But also for a lot of people, like their day-to-day -day life isn't good and they are in, you know, like they are, they are suffering and they need, and, and if you give them, if, if what you have to offer is a compelling enemy, um, then that might be enough for them to say, oh, good, it's that. <laughs> and to, to rally around that. And then if you find other people who are saying, oh my God, right, can you believe this blank? right? Those people are just bananas. Like you're going to feel connected and you're going to feel supported in, in that theory of yours. And you're going to have friends, <laughs> you know, like, so great, you know, like that is all, those are all the conditions that allow that stuff to, to continue. So, in, in, and to be sought out. I, and in the meantime, it's really hard because these people are in the short term actively harming everyone yeah. right and you know this is the same thing that Pete, that you know you hear about like it's very hard with say you know people say i'm a trump supporter you should value me for my you should you should acknowledge that this is a political belief while at the same time the policies that trump 
uh, are putting forth are undoubtedly causing great harm, especially to marginalized communities, right? And so those two things are kind of similar in that I find a lot of people find it very difficult to separate the harm that's being generated directly or indirectly by a set of beliefs from a need or desire to get to the bottom of where they came from and dig it back out because one is because the harm is happening right now and the other is going to take a while, you know? Yeah. I think that, I mean, something I believe is that all of this work is deeply paradoxical, like really, really deeply paradoxical that the, uh, I need to look up this quote, but the, the opposite of a truth is might be a falsehood, but the opposite of a deep truth is another deep truth. And mm -hmm. for me, that is true. Like that just feels like the tension that we are in. And I think sometimes it does take a long time. And I think sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's right there under the mm -hmm. one step away. You know, I've, I've had moments and conversations where, I, I mean, I had a, a single conversation where I was talking to, I was like kind of serving as a coach, I guess, for, for these two executives. And they walked into the meeting and said, Meg, we, we want to get, we want to get this diversity stuff. We just want to get it done. And I was like, okay, what does that mean <laughs> to you? And right. they're like, we just, you know, want to get it done. And I was like, okay, I'm not sure that's how it works, but let's talk about it. And by the end of that conversation, which was an hour, they were saying, you know, people who just want to get it, who think that this stuff is just going to happen overnight, like those people are just checking a box. Those people are just, you know, they're just, they don't understand like this is a journey and this is a process and this is going to take time. And it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a long game. And I was like, all right. <laughs> like, and that was a single conversation right? That we went mm -hmm. in, it, we had that whole arc. I, I believe that they went through all like a, that. I don't, those weren't my words. Those were their words at the end of the meeting. Right. And, um, and to me, like that is possible in a single conversation to bring somebody from, I want to get this done to people who just want to get this done are not seeing the full picture and the understanding the scope and scale and the magnitude of what we are trying to do. And I was like, I was personally blown away by the, that transformation in a 50 minute conversation. So I know it's possible to do big, like, you know, at least I think intellectual experiences or intellectual leaps or leaps in understanding with people very quickly. Um, and it is very different work and um, and it does, it does ask deeper or, or maybe not deeper, but it asks a different set of questions, which is like, how do we prevent people from doing that? Or what causes people to do that, you know, to support these types of people or support these types of actions or protest mask wearing, like what causes that? Like it is a deeper, um, or maybe a, a more long game set of questions. And 
I think that um, for me, the paradox is that we need to do that work simultaneously. We need to do the short right. game and the long game simultaneously. And I have started to believe or, or started to try to consider like, maybe my role is the long, I'm bringing the long game. <laughs> like I'm, that's my goal. And that's my set of contributions. And if, and, and for other people, they're really going to be concerned about the short term. And the, the trick, I guess, or, or the, the thing I would love to see or love to invite in more is, the, is to see those as complementary and to see each other as valuable as like, oh, thank you for doing that long-term investigative work because I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, like I am not curious about what is causing someone to be a neo-Nazi. I just want to make sure they don't hurt anybody, right? And I, and, and maybe a different set of people are saying like, well, I don't, I do, like, I'm not a good, you know, boots on the ground activist, or I'm, I'm not going to be able to respond in this short term way, because I do want to, like, my priority is the long term, um, or, or rather like those, those questions that can take years to unpack, um, like, and to see those as complementary threads, I think that would be great. And I think sometimes they see us there, they are competing threads instead of complementary. It reminds me of a discussion I've heard in various forms around approaches to policy. I don't know how to describe it, but it's basically the idea that there's a group of people that say, um, you cannot win hearts and minds. All you can do is legislate right and wrong. And there's a group of people who say that unless you win hearts and minds, you can never legislate right or wrong. And it, and, and I, and I think you're right. I don't think it is an either or thing. I think we have to legislate right and wrong, but we also have to win hearts and minds because neither of them is going to work without the other. I think that, um, and this is where we get into a really like meta conversation. I don't think we have a lot of frameworks that we are offered outside of a competition narrative. Mm -hmm. Like we are in a world just full of artificial, artificially created scarcity and, and full of, of zero sun, zero sum games and narratives of competition. And so of course we don't know how to hold like these paradoxical truths as complementary because it requires a type of thinking that we are so rarely offered and within a lot of the very structures that we are trying to in my mind that social justice is trying to undermine like capitalism like oppression like those are embedded parts of those structures the less for you or more for me is less for you or the like me and you are against each other right like those are just part of the stories that we were raised in and that we know are so so harmful um but it is hard to not just let go of the structures but also to let go of those those like core um ways of thinking I, I know that competition isn't the only way to conceptualize like two, two things, but I have so few other models for, for how yeah. to do it. And, um, and so, yeah, I guess to me, like, of course we have a hard time 
um, figuring out how to hold those paradoxical truths are our stories of how the world works, especially like the stories I was brought up in, in terms of like a Western first world, highly capitalist culture. Like we don't, we don't do a lot of that. We don't, we don't do a lot of that. And so, um, so of course I don't know how to do it when it comes to this movement work, because I don't, I don't have a lot of practice doing it anywhere else in my life either. And I think a lot of that comes down, circling back a bit to what I found very affecting when, you know, I went through this process with you was that I had, I had gone through, you know, I had, I had been involved in social justice work for a long time and I had gone through a very traumatic experience in a community I was in involving somebody um, who had done some things. And there was a very big divide, very, very deep and violent divide in the community out of it. And, and I, and I had very gotten very, very involved in that day to day and kind of developed a very us and them attitude out of it. And, and as a result of that kind of put up some walls around myself to protect myself from the, from what was for me very traumatic. And I think that one of the things that you bring up that's really important is that, you know, there, everything you have, everybody has to find a balance somehow. And, you know, I, I think I found for myself that that direct, you know, um, activist boot on angry activist boot on the ground is not me. And there is absolutely, you know, this is not a tone policing comment because I, absolutely believe there is a place for that anger and that that anger is not misguided. Um, but for myself, I don't think it's healthy and thinking about ways to engage in that, that may work better for me, even though at the same time they may make me so vulnerable was something that I think I found very profound, but I think really, and really fits with myself as a human being more. And, um, and, and I think that and that's something that I continue to figure out a way to work through and on a day-to-day basis. And it's hard. And especially I find it hard. I think it's a shame that a lot of this, well, it's not a shame. It's, it's what it is. You know, I, as I said, a lot of this discussion is now kind of exploding into the world at a time when we can't get together face to face, which is a bummer. But I think there's also something to be said for the fact that if we weren't all locked up at home, this explosion may never have happened either. So it's just it's another example of the paradox. Right. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to engage more with these issues. And I know that a lot of people in the communities that I see struggle to engage with them in certain ways. And I think that understanding that there are different ways and that none of those ways is necessarily bad is really, really important and a really big part of what I took away from what you brought to us um, in our workshop. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that there are many, I, I love there's a model going around um, that I've, I'm seeing more, which I, which I love, which is like there's eight or 10 different roles 
um, to play in in like social justice work. You know, there's there's disruptors and there's healers and there's educators and there's bridge builders and there's um, I, those are just some of the ones I can remember. And um, I like the idea that there's a lot of different roles to play. I, I think that that's a really powerful idea. To me, it's also a very community uh, centered idea. Mm -hmm. We have this very individualistic culture and a very individualistic heavy society, at least here in the US and in in the communities that I have been part of. And, um, and that requires this idea that like, who, how you show up is how everyone needs to show up, right? And to me, like, if we only had people, if we were a movement that was entirely of bridge builders, like, maybe that wouldn't be a good thing. You know, like, I think it's very likely that that wouldn't be a good thing. Because every once in a while, someone needs to shut down the highway, because no one's paying attention, you know, or um, we if we were just a community of healers, well, who would be doing the education, you know, to me, and, and one of the things I think that individualism, and this is me very much spitballing right now, I don't think I've said this <laughs> before, but like, I think that individualism kind of traps us into this idea that like, how I show up, or how you show up is how everyone needs to show up. And so if I think, you, if, if I think like, you by yourself would be like, um, isn't enough, then how you're showing up must not be enough versus like, you are fine as long as we have seven other different types of people. You know what I mean? Like if, right. if, if everyone shows up in any of these ways exclusively, that will be a problem. <laughs> like it yeah. will be a problem. Um, but, but that none of them at their, you, or rather many of them, I would say, I don't know if none of them, I'm sure there is a problematic way to show up, but like uh, that, that there are so many different positive ways to contribute. And, and in that, um, it is okay if one doesn't work for you. It is okay if one seems to you like, well, that's not the most important thing right now, because the most important thing changes, you know, and and for you, it may not be the most important thing, um, but it also trying to all be the square peg isn't good if what we have is a is a very like diverse set of needs um, and a very like different sets of needs. So yeah, I would I think that some of the policing uh, wrong word some of the <laughs> um, some of the ways in which we critique each other is. It, uh, or 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 fret about how we are showing up is because of this like less collectivist um, approach or like ecosystem that we see ourselves as like individual actors and so the individual actors need to bring everything versus like in this ecosystem we have lots of different types of people we have lots of different types of um, ways of contributing and what we what we want to ultimately build is a healthy ecosystem um, and a healthy world, you know, from that ecosystem. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think if we bring it back to the communities that we're a part of, I think, you know, a lot of what we've talked about today really comes down to intentionality and about really being intentional about the ways that we engage and what our goals are for engaging and 
what and and setting boundaries for ourselves where if it's not working out then it's okay to disengage and take care of ourselves yeah i mean i think of it uh and this is a conversation i have a lot is how much of how we are showing up in the world would need to change um when we are in the world that we are trying to create like to me social justice uh, like so there's a book called the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible and it is um like i don't know i've always just really resonated with that articulation of what i am trying to move towards is this more beautiful world that my heart knows is possible and and for me in that more beautiful world or like in that just world in the world where all of the work that we are doing and the struggle and the fight that is happening right now, like the world that we want to be creating, right, um, out of all of that work, in that more beautiful world, in that just world, is how much of what you are doing right now would need to change, you know, like, oh, well, there wouldn't be cancel culture in that world, but in order to get to that world, we need cancel culture, right? Might be an example. Or mm -hmm. there wouldn't be, um, yeah, we, we can stick, I don't need to give other examples. Um, but to me, I think it's very important anytime we are doing something in the, in the name or in the spirit of building that world that we wouldn't want to exist in it. For me, that's a little like flag where I'm like, okay, maybe there's a certain, you know, the, I think the, the, um, the phrase or the saying that comes up, right, is like you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet. And um, for me, I'm like, okay, but I want to be very clear about what eggs we are breaking <laughs> and mm -hmm. when we are doing something that would no longer make sense in this more beautiful or more just world. Um, I think that I think that abolition, like right now, the abolitionist conversation comes to mind for me, which is that like in the more just and more beautiful world, we do not need the prison industrial complex. It is it is obsolete and unnecessary because we have figured out other ways in which to address the deep social conditions that um, that produce crime, that necessitate crime, that drive people to take violent actions, right? Like we have addressed those and therefore this thing is unnecessary. And I think that that type of thinking of like, well, we want, and, and, and how we get there, um, like those are very important ingredients. And so to me, um, I, I do pay attention, I think, to like, is how I am showing up in this conversation in this workshop, like, and maybe to bring us full circle, like, I want my workshops as much as possible to be microcosms of the world I am trying to build. Like, I want it, the best, you know, the most amazing workshop, people would be like, dang, that was amazing. I didn't know you could relate to people like that. I didn't know you could have conversations like that. And then the world that you go back into feels a little more ick. Like, because you feel, you're like, well, this is not great. I don't like this thing as much because that felt that that was nice. That was good. That was desirable, even if it was hard or challenging or um, tumultuous or conflict, you know, had conflict in it. Like it still felt more real um, or it felt more, um, yeah, true. And so 
in my mind, my workshops, like to, to really get, uh, I don't know, zoomed out. Like I want the <laughs> microcosms of that world that I am trying to build. And in that world, there isn't an us versus them in that world. There is not an enemy and, um, and there isn't necessarily even a fight to be had. Um, and so as much as possible, I want to be creating experiences where people can see that that is, that is actually possible, even if only for three hours, um, it is possible. Yeah. And it's, it's like hearing that makes me feel really great. And it makes me wonder why I, and you know, I feel like, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure this applies to a lot of other people. We wall ourselves off from believing in those things because we've been let down by them so often. And and allowing yourself to say, you know, you're doing everything you can and, you know, even moving the needle a little bit is helping everything, right? That that you know, this isn't always going to work and that's okay but you're doing what you can to make the world that you want to see possible. And that's the really important part. Like you said, the, 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 it's much more about the journey than the goal. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the process, it, the, the, I, I once said to my friend, my friend and I were talking about this stuff and, and I said, you know, I just think the process is more important than the solution. And she was mm -hmm. like, this is not compelling, Meg. I want a solution. <laughs> like, that is not helpful. Like, I do not want to hear that. And I said, okay, the process is the solution. And she was like, all right, all right. I can get on board with that. Yeah, so yeah. to me, like, that is really where, and, and that's my way of navigating all of this, right? And again, sure. I think my role um or, or the role I have given myself, I don't know, in, in this social justice movement is as an educator, as a, a bridge builder, as a um, observer and like kind of reflector on the movement. Like, uh, yeah. And, and because of that, I have particular, um, like that I set my, I, I have a particular role, right, to serve in that way. And so for me, the process is 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 my solution how i do my work is is the work i want to be doing um and not that i do that flawlessly like i am also a uh i am i don't know i've been thinking about getting a poster for a while that says like beatings will continue until morale improves uh, <laughs> because that is just because we know how ridiculous that is right but that's absolutely how i relate to myself on a regular basis right it's mm -hmm. not like if i just beat myself up more eventually i will get better and um and so it's not to say i i like embody this truth yet it's but i do believe that that the process how we do this matters tremendously to the outcome and perhaps is is so much of the outcome that we are desiring. And um, at least that's true for me and, and how I show up in this work. So um, yeah, that's why I think that's why it is so process focused for me is because that's the point. So if people want to find you on the internet or find out what you're up to, uh, how could they go about doing that? 
Yeah, so the best way is probably megvolger.com, M-E-G-B as in boy, O-L-G-E-R.com. That's where I try to put all of my different projects and working ons. I'm not good at the, I'm not good at the socials. I have them, but it's mostly to um, observe and interact with each other. I, I have Twitter. I'm at Meg Bulger. If you send me a direct message on there, it's very unlikely I will ever reply. Um, I have Instagram, but it's mostly to watch skateboarding videos. And <laughs> um, uh, I think I'm Yo Meg on Instagram. Um, but yeah, MegBulger.com. You'll find all of my uh, different projects and um, also my mailing lists for, I send out an email like every week or two with kind of a digest of what I'm I'm learning and uh, whether that's social justice or facilitation, those are basically the two themes of that email. Uh, every once in a while I host facilitator roundtables, and if I add any other projects that people can connect to, um, they will always be referenced on megbulger.com. Well, um, we've obviously been talking for a long time and covered a lot of ground and I, in this was probably as much a therapy session for me as it was anything else, but I uh, really appreciate you coming to talk. And um, I just feel like your approach to all of these issues is really refreshing. Um, a, and it's, it's hard, but rewarding. And um, I hope that uh, everybody can get something out of this um, as much as I did. So thanks for coming in. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to This Must Be The Place. You can find out more or subscribe at thismustbetheplacepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at tmbtp underscore podcast. Our theme was composed by Will from America, and our logo was designed by Marissa Epstein. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.